Hello and welcome to Sleep Cove, the place to come for a great night's sleep. Tonight I'll be reading some Greek mythology bedtime stories. I really hope you enjoy it. And let's begin. The Wonderful Weaver Chapter 1 The Warp There was a young girl in Greece whose name was Arachne. Her face was pale but fair, and her eyes were big and blue, and her hair was long like gold. All that she cared to do from morn till noon was to sit in the sun and spin, and all that she cared to do from noon till night was to sit in the shade and weave. And oh, how fine and fair were the things which she wove in her loom. Flax, wool, silk, she worked with them all, and when they came from her hands, the cloth which she made of them was so thin and soft and bright that men came from all parts of the world to see it and they said that cloth so rare could not be made of flax or wool or silk, but that the warp was of rays of sunlight, and the woof was of threads of gold. Then as day by day the girl sat in the sun and span, or sat in the shade and wove, she said, in all the world there is no yarn so fine as mine, and in all the world there is no cloth so soft and smooth, no silk so bright and rare. Who taught you to spin and weave so well? someone asked. No one taught me, she said, I learned how to do it as I sat in the sun and the shade but no one showed me, but it may be that Athena, the queen of the air, taught you, and you did not know it, they said, Athena, the queen of the air, bah, said Arachne, how could she teach me, can she spin such skians of yarn as these, can she weave goods like mine, I should like to see her try, I can teach her a thing or two. She looked up and saw in the doorway a woman wrapped in a long cloak. Her face was fair to see, but stern, oh so stern, and her great eyes were so sharp and bright that Arachne could not meet her gaze. Arachne, said the woman, I am Athena, the queen of the air, and I have heard your boast, do you still mean to say that I have not taught you how to spin and weave? No one has taught me, said Arachne, and I thank no one for what I know, and she stood up, straight and proud, 
by the side of her loom. And do you still think that you can spin and weave as well as I? said Arachne. Arachne's cheeks grew pale, but she said, Yes, I can weave as well as you. And let me tell you what we will do, said Athena. Three days from now, we will both weave, you on your loom, and I on mine. We will ask all the world to come and see us, in great Jupiter, who sits in the clouds, shall be the judge. And if your work is best, then I will weave no more, so long as the world shall last. But if my work is best, then you shall never use loom or spindle or distaff again. Do you agree to this? I agree, said Arachne. It is well, said Athena, and she was gone. Chapter 2 The Wolf When the time came for the contest in weaving, all the world was there to see it, and great Jupiter sat among the clouds and looked on. Arachne had set up her loom in the shade of a mulberry tree, where the butterflies were flitting and the grasshoppers chirping all through their live-long day. But Athena had set up her loom in the sky, where the breezes were blowing and the summer sun was shiny, for she was the queen of the air. Then Arachne took a skiens of finer silk and began to weave, as she wove a web of marvellous beauty, so thin and light that it would float in the air, and yet so strong that it could hold a lion in its meshes, and the threads of warp and woof were of many colours, so beautifully arranged and mingled one with another, that all who saw were filled with delight. No wonder that the maiden boasted of her skill, said the people, and Jupiter himself nodded. Then Athena began to weave as she took off the sunbeams that glided the mountain top, and of the snowy fleece of the summer clouds, and of the blue ether of the summer sky, and of the bright green of the summer fields, and of the royal purple of the autumn woods. And what do you suppose she wove? The web she wove in the sky was full of enchanting pictures of flowers and gardens, and of castles and towers and of mountain heights, and of men and beasts, and of giants and dwarfs, and of mighty beings who dwell in the clouds with Jupiter. And those who looked upon it were filled with wonder and delight, that they forgot all about the beautiful web 
which Arachne had woven, and Arachne herself was ashamed and afraid when she saw it, and she hid her face in her hands and wept. Oh, how can I live, she cried, now that I must never use loom or spindle or distaff. And she kept on weeping and weeping and weeping, and saying, how can I live? Then when Athena saw that the poor maiden would never have any joy unless she was allowed to spin and weave, she took pity on her and said, I would free you from your bargain if I could, but that is a thing which no one can do. You must hold to your agreement never to touch, loom or spindle again, and yet since you will never be happy unless you can spin and weave, I will give you a new form so that you can carry on your work with neither spindle nor loom. Then she touched Arachne with the tip of the spear which she sometimes carried, and the maiden was changed at once into a nimble spider, which ran into a shady place in the grass, and began merrily to spin and weave a beautiful web. I have heard it said that all the spiders which have been in the world since then are the children of Arachne, but I doubt whether this be true. Yet, for aught I know, Arachne still lives, and spins and weaves, and the very next spider that you see may be she herself. The End The Horse and the Olive Chapter 1 Finding a King On a steep, stony hill in Greece, there lived in early times a few very poor people who had not yet learned to build houses. They made their homes in little caves which they dug in the earth or hollowed out among the rocks, and their food was the flesh of wild animals which they hunted in the woods with now and then a few berries or nuts. They did not even know how to make bows and arrows, but used slings and clubs and sharp sticks for weapons, and the little clothing which they had was made of skins. They lived on top of the hill because they were safe there from the savage beasts of the great forest around them, and safe also from the wild men who sometimes roamed through the land. The hill was so steep on every side that there was no way of climbing it, save by a single narrow footpath which was always guarded by someone at the top. One day, when the men were hunting in the woods, they found a strange youth 
whose face was so fair and who was dressed so beautifully that they could hardly believe him to be a man like themselves. His body was so slender and lithe, and he moved so nimbly among the trees that they fancied him to be a serpent in the guise of a human being, and they stood in alarm and wonder. The young man spoke to them, but they could not understand a word that he said, then he made signs to them that he was hungry, and they gave him something to eat, and were no longer afraid. Had they been like the wild men of the woods, they might have killed him at once, but they wanted their women and children to see the serpent man, as they called him, and hear him talk, and so they took him home with them to the top of the hill. They thought that after they had made a show of him for a few days, they would kill him and offer his body as a sacrifice to the unknown being whom they dimly fancied to have some sort of control over their lives. But the young man was so fair and gentle that after they had taken a look at him, they began to think it would be a great pity to harm him, so they gave him food and treated him kindly, and he sang songs to them and played with their children and made them happier than they had been for a many day. In a short time, he learned to talk in their language, and he told them that his name was Seacrops, and that he had been shipwrecked on the sea coast not far away, and then he told them many strange things about the land which he had come, and to which he would never be able to return. The poor people listened and wondered, and it was not long until they began to love him, and to look up to him as one wiser than themselves. Then they came to ask him about everything that was to be done, and there was not one of them who refused to do his bidding. So Seacrops, the serpent man, as they still called him, became the king of the poor people on the hill. He taught them how to make bows and arrows, and how to set nets for birds, and how to take fish with hooks. He led them against the savage wild men of the woods, and helped them kill the fierce beasts that had been so great a terror to them. He showed them how to build houses of wood, and to thatch them with reeds which grew in the marshes. He taught them how to live in families, instead of herding together like senseless beasts, as they had always done before. And he told them about great Jupiter and the mighty folk who lived among the clouds on the mountaintop. 
chapter 2, choosing a name. By and by, instead of the wretched caves among the rocks, there was a little town on top of a hill, with neat houses and a marketplace, and around it was a strong wall with a single narrow gate, just where the footpath began to descend to the plain, but as yet the place had no name. One morning, while the king and his wise men were sitting together in the marketplace and planning how to make the town become a rich, strong city, two strangers were seen in the street. Nobody could tell how they came there. The guard at the gate had not seen them, and no man had ever dared to climb the narrow footway without his leave. But there the two strangers stood. One was a man, and the other a woman, and they were so tall, and their faces were so grand and noble, that those who saw them stood still, and wondered, and said not a word. The man had a robe of purple and green, wrapped around his body, and he bore in one hand a strong staff, with three spear points at one end. The woman was not beautiful, but she had wonderful grey eyes, and in one hand she carried a spear, and in the other a shield of curious workmanship. What is the name of this town? asked the man. The people stared at him in wonder, and hardly understood his meaning. Then an old man answered and said, It has no name. We who live on this hill used to be called Crane, but since King Cecrops came, we have been so busy that we have had no time to think of names. Where is King Cecrops? asked the woman. He is in the marketplace with a wise man, was the answer. Lead us to him at once, said the man. When Seacrops saw the two strangers coming into the marketplace, he stood up and waited for them to speak. The man spoke first. I am Neptune, said he, and I rule the sea. And I am Athena, said the woman, and I give wisdom to men. I hear that you are planning to make your town become a great city said Neptune, and I have come to help you. Give my name to this place, and let me be your protector and patron, and the wealth of the whole world shall be yours. Ships from every land shall bring you merchandise and gold and silver, and you shall be the masters of the sea. My uncle makes you fair promises, said Athena, but listen to me, give my name to your city, and let me be your patron, and I will give you that which gold cannot buy, 
I will teach you how to do a thousand things of which you know nothing. I shall make your city my favourite home, and I will give you wisdom that shall sway the winds and hearts of all men until the end of time. The king bowed and turned to the people who had crowded into the marketplace. Which one of these mighty ones shall we elect to be the protector and patron of our city? He asked. Neptune offers us wealth. Athena promises wisdom. Which shall we choose? Neptune and wealth, cried many. Athena and wisdom, cried as many others. At last, when it was plain that the people could not agree, an old man whose advice was always heeded stood up and said, These mighty ones have only given us promises, and they have promised things of which we are ignorant. For who among us knows what wealth is or what wisdom is? Now, if they could only give us some real gift, right now and right here, which we can see and handle, we should know better how to choose. That is true, that is true, cried the people. Very well then, said the strangers, we will each give you a gift right now and right here, and then you may choose between us. Neptune gave the first gift. He stood on the highest point of the hill where the rock was bare and bade the people see his power. He raised his three-pointed spear high in the air and then brought it down with a great force. Lightning flashed, the earth shook and the rock was split halfway down to the bottom of the hill. Then out of the yawning crevice, there sprang a wonderful creature, white as milk, with long slender legs, an arching neck, and a mane and a tail of silk. The people had never seen anything like it before, and they thought it a new kind of bear or wolf or wild boar that had come out of the rock to devour them. Some of them ran and hid in their houses, while others climbed upon the wall, and still others grasped their weapons in alarm. But when they saw the creature stand quietly by the side of Neptune, they lost their fear and came closer to see and admire its beauty. This is my gift, said Neptune, this animal will carry your burdens for you, he will draw your chariots, he will pull your wagons and your plows, he will let you sit on his back and he will run with you faster than the wind. What is his name? asked the king. His name is Horse, answered Neptune. Then Athena came forward. She stood a moment on a green, grassy plot, where the children of the town liked to play in the evening. 
and she drove the point of her spear deep down into the soil. At once the air was filled with music, and out of the earth there sprang a tree with slender branches and dark green leaves, and white flowers, and violet green fruit. This is my gift, said Athena, this tree will give you food when you are hungry, it will shelter you from the sun when you are faint, it will beautify your city, and the oil from its fruit will be sought by all the world. What is it called? asked the king. It is called Olive, answered Athena. Then the king and his wise men began to talk about the two gifts. I do not see that horse will be much use to us, said the old man who had spoken before, for as to the chariots and wagons and ploughs, we have none of them, and indeed do not know what they are, and who among us would ever want to sit on this creature's back and be born faster than the wind? But Olive will be a thing of beauty and a joy for us and our children forever. Which shall we choose? asked the king, turning to the people. Athena has given us the best gift, they all cried, and we choose Athena and wisdom. Be it so, said the king, and the name of our city shall be Athens. From that day the town grew and spread, and soon there was not room on the hilltop for all the people. The houses were built in the plain round the foot of the hill, and great roads were built to the sea three miles away, and in all the world there was no city more fairer than Athens. In the old marketplace, on the top of the hill, the people built a temple to Athena, the ruins of which may still be seen. The olive tree grew and nourished, and when you visit Athens, people will show you the very spot where it stood. Many other trees sprang from it, and in time became a blessing both to Greece and to all the other countries round the great sea. As for the horse, he wandered away across the plains towards the north and found a home at last in distant Thessaly, beyond the river Peneos. And I've heard it said that all the horses in the world have descended from that one which Neptune brought out of the rock. But of the truth of the story, there may be some doubt.